0: Of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake. And Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a rehab that treats alcoholics and addicts with compassion and connection rather than control, which, as I like to say, is the most beautiful way to deal with addiction and recovery. Aloe has decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental illness, including severe mental illness and obviously addiction. They make sure the detox is as comfortable as possible, which is critical when you're kicking heroin or pills or alcohol, or whatever you're kicking. A comfortable detox is obviously preferred. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, including the incredible sound bath meditation, the uber spiritually, potentially transformative sweat lodge, fucking surfing, equine therapy. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Sober Buddy. I want to talk about Sober Buddy since it's super available for you if you need some help with your sobriety. It's the little blue fluffy guy you may have seen in sober memes on Instagram or Facebook. You can either use their free service called Sober Buddy Mail, which is a daily email with bite-sized sober challenges with motivations and tips that are super helpful, or you can download the Your Sober Buddy app which is an interactive version that shifts your challenges and motivations based on how you respond to it. The app also has a sober tracker that's down to the second and daily check-ins from Buddy, where he asks you how you're feeling and if you're sober, and then gives you advice based on your mood. Right now, Sober Buddy has over 30,000 people using their services to get sober, and I know we've had a bunch of Dopey Nation people using it too, and they really love it. If you're interested Check them out on YourSoberBuddy.com. You can see all of their services there. It is nice to have these free and super inexpensive resources out there for everyone now. It's been a long time coming. Again, that's YourSoberBuddy.com if you're interested. Let the blue fuzzy guy help you with your sobriety because we all need all the help we can get. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our great friends at Soberlink. At Soberlink, somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. SoberLink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The SoberLink system consists of a portable handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professionals, recovery coaches, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to our listeners, email soberlink.com slash dopey or go to the website of soberlink.com slash dopey. Mention dopey and get 50 bucks off your device. Do it for that someone who cares. Let Soberlink help you to stay off the sauce. And last but not least, I got to thank everyone in the Dopey Nation who helps out with Dopey via the Dopey Patreon. Dopey Patreon um, is incredibly important for keeping Dopey as Dopey, happy, joyous, and free as possible. We're pumping out material every week. There's a little Father's Day video featuring my sweet, wealthy, and handsome father making his cereal mix. You see a little bit of the garden. Last month, there was exclusive video. The Dopey Patreon is your passport to all things behind the scenes, Dopey. It helps me. It helps the show. It keeps the show progressing. Go to www.patreon.com slash podcast and help out the show. It is incredibly appreciated. Also, if you want gear, Dopey is in partnership with an amazing company in Ohio called SRO Prince, who are a bunch of junkies like us, and they are making the super dope, dopey gear. There's beautiful tank tops, hoodies, t-shirts. There's still a sale. There's a bunch of shit on there that's at least 20% off, if not more. I I sold fucking 14 trucker hats this week, so that means I have 10 left. If you want, let me know. Uh, I have... uh, you know, I posted in my Instagram stories what colors are left, but I can make more if you want more. Let me know if you want a trucker hat, if you want a classic. I haven't mean, actually add a classic dopey hats, but I can make more of those too. If you want that, I have a couple of blue and red dopies. I have Oy vey snapback. I have stickers. Just Venmo me for that stuff. And enough with the ads. Here is the fucking show. <laughs> And welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and I'm Dave. And this is an amazing honor to have Jack Osborne calling in from his cockpit of his private plane. Welcome, Jack.
1: I, w- I wish it was the cockpit of my private plane. It would make things a whole, uh, it'd make make traveling for work a whole lot easier. That's my, that, by the way, that's my life goal. Like, it would be, there's nothing worse than commercial travel. It's the worst thing ever, especially during COVID.
0: So the life goal is to have a private plane or to pilot a private <laughs> yeah. plane.
1: I would probably but either or, man. Travel flying sucks. Remember, like I used to watch videos, and it was like the 1960s, and everyone was just like really happy to be at the, you know, on an airplane, and they were dressed in nice suits. And now it's just, you just feel like you've been shoveled into some kind of, I mean, cattle cart. Really,
0: it's it's hell. You're you're shuttled into some sort of sterile tube. The funny thing for me is like, I loved smoking cigarettes. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm like 10 years older than you. So like, I loved smoking cigarettes, but my smoking cigarettes, I I think I smoked on one flight. You know what I mean? I think they banned smoking as soon as I started smoking. And I remember smoking, I smoking cigarettes in airports. I remember smoking weed in the San Francisco airport, um, which was a huge (laughs) thrill. And I bet you they just, but now you can't smoke weed or cigarettes. You can't smoke cigarettes in an airport, but I bet if you could, you could smoke weed in the San Francisco airport legally now.
1: Oh probably. I mean, I think you could at this point pull your pants down and take a shit in the middle of the San Francisco airport and they wouldn't care.
0: They wouldn't mind. You're allowed to like drop LSD no. into your eyeballs on. But you probably oh, yeah. <laughs> you grew up flying private, right?
1: I well, yes, but it's it's not it's it's always like when my dad's touring, you know, it's it's not like a a thing of like Hey, let's go down to, you know, I mean, occasionally if, 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 I guess the, the way to put it is if we're traveling with my dad somewhere, because he tends to fly private.
0: So you never fly private by yourself? Never? Always commercial? Hell no. Hell no. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to pay like
1: 45 grand just to like go to New York. Like, no, I don't have it like that. I'm not a Kardashian.
0: Is it worth it though? <laughs> is it? Because I've never flown private. Is it worth it? Let's Break down You know. Me.
1: I, you know, I think when you're when you're someone like my dad, yes, it's worth it because the ease and the hat of the and the there's so much hassle going through airports. It's like you're you're basically paying to for less hassle. That's I think that's the main expense. Um, but for me, like I, I I fly so under the radar. No pun intended. Like I um, I don't. I'm not like when when I was doing world detour with my dad, we didn't fly private. Um, and so he was like flying into like middle of nowhere towns and all this stuff. And, and he would always get hassled at the airport and he'd always be like, oh, so it's so annoying. Like it's one, I, I just want to get through the airport. And I was like, well, then you need to stop dressing like Ozzy Osbourne when you are walking through an airport in the middle of Nebraska. I'm like, what is he's he got wear? the gold on, <laughs> he's, he's got, he's got the hair down, the glasses covered in gold, you know, his, is like, you know tailor-made three-quarter length coat it's 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 like oh that's Ozzy Osbourne
0: he's never like wearing I'm like the the sweatsuit or anything
1: no I was always like I was like listen if you let me dress you for a flight no one would bother you I'm like if we put you in a pair of jeans some Nikes a hoodie and a baseball hat and like no glasses no one would recognize you and stop you and you and he would do this like little smirk and he'd be like but that's no fun
0: right right (laughs) That would be a great bit though for the show. You know, like getting I, him dressed undercover, going to a public space and seeing if there's a reaction or not. That could be a whole show in itself, I think.
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> that I I love that World Detour. Did you find was your dad in recovery at that point? Was it like what was the Yeah.
1: It <laughs> Yeah, it, it it's funny how Yes. Yeah. My, my family would come to me and then for, for a while, you know, cause I got sober right, you know, during the filming, filming of the Osborns. And so it was very publicized that I was sober and, and, um, or getting sober. And, and so I kind of became for a minute, like the token young sober celebrity guy that, so my phone was always ringing like, Hey, can you talk to this guy? Or, you know, I've got this friend and, he's an actor and all that. And it kind of, the, the problem I found is that no one really, people would want to hear what I did, but everyone was scared of the, it was the work and they'd be like, well, how'd you do it? And I, when I laid it down, I'm like, all right, I was in treatment for, you know, over two months. And then I was an outpatient for a year and a half and I was going to meetings, you know, even, you know, after the 90, 90, I was going to meetings six or seven times a week and I had sponsees and I was at a sponsor and I was doing the whole deal. Everyone was just like, oh, and I was like, and that's how I've stayed sober. And people were, um, they, they, I think they would get a little in, you know, freaked out by the commitment.
0: It was less glamorous than they had hoped. They were like, where's the ayahuasca? Yeah. Where, where's, the, where's the ibogaine trip in that, right?
1: Yeah, Exactly
0: it's funny yeah it's funny how that goes um do you still like what's your program like 18 years in
1: man you know it's funny it's like i was you know obviously doing the podcast i was like man i i haven't you know i've in the last year i've probably been able to physically go to like three or four meetings like you know in-person meetings um fortunately my, my home group has opened back up i just haven't you know with work and travel. And then I moved, I moved how? like a bunch of you know, life stuff. I just haven't been able to kind of consistently go. I've been a few times. Um, you know, I over quarantine, there was a lot of 12 step action going on. Um, people really close to me ended up, uh, you know, throwing up the white flag and, you know, asking for help and asking to get into treatment. And so there's been a lot, a lot of that. I think that's kind of where, you know, any of my if any of my recovery is based it's that uh you know doing a lot of 12-step work and you know I have a men's group that I zoom into every week and things like that so it's um you know it's not as uh
0: rigorous robust
1: rigorous yes yeah like I I put it this way there's been times where I felt way more uh connected in program than I have now
0: right but with COVID with but I don't
1: But I'm not. But I'm not like, oh man. Like I'm not feeling like, like I'm. I'm not beating myself up over it because it's like, hey, like I, for me, recovery is a a bridge to normal living, not a lifeboat. You know, I'm not. I'm not sitting in that thing just paddling for hope the whole time. Like I've, you know, that that bridge took me to a, you know, the land of happy, joyous, and free. And you know, and I, you know, I've got kids and my girlfriend and work and travel and I've got all this stuff and, you know, but I, I still keep it. I still keep a foot in the door.
0: Totally. It's, it's like, and you have the tools that if shit gets wonky or yeah. weird, you know what, what you can do. And even more importantly, that when people yeah. come to you, you know what you can offer. So like, what was that like during COVID when, when, when people leave, did you find like the temperature was turned up on it? Like what was going on?
1: It, it, man, it was really weird. It was, um, Uh, yeah, I would just get calls from people being like, hey, man, like, I need help. And, you know, I... um, Someone very, very close to me, um, like, total just... uh, You know, it was the classic case of um, locked in your house, eating a bunch of Adderall and pain pills, you know? And, And someone that I never would have expected to kind of reach out to this you know to the capacity that happened and um and it was it was i if anything i was like okay i'm glad you called like i was relieved i was like all right cool like let's get this handled and just kind of went into that mode of all right let's let's find you let's find you a detox let's find you a treatment program let's just get you rolling and you know fortunately he had he had the resources to where you know we didn't have to he didn't have to worry about like oh is you know, is it an insurance place, is it like a city run place like it was it was pretty seamless. Um, which is uh it it always I mean listen it helps for sure.
2: Of course. Um
1: you know that's uh it's funny my my friend who got sober very young too, he always says he always says to like we used to go speak at high schools together and and um he would always say, Hey listen, if you guys are gonna be like junkies and meth heads do it before the age of 18 so your parents have to pay for treatment and you don't
0: (laughs) totally are you kidding me there's a guy at my meeting he he's like i think he has 10 years he got sober when he was 18 he had a house guest Mm -hmm. right he had a his wife is still using he had a house guest who visited him and the house guest was like the biggest stoner in the world and was like eating mushrooms in the house while he's sober in the house and like he I don't know if he shared at the meeting or if he took me aside and he was like, I feel like I missed out on all of these things because I got sober so mm. young. Did you ever have that feeling like when you were, when you were just getting clean now? I mean, now you have three kids and you know, a career yeah. or whatever. You know
1: what? You know what? The, the only time it ever comes up um, is when I'm on a, a camping trip or a climbing trip and, And at the end of the day, when everyone sat around a campfire and like my friends who drink are like cracking open a beer or having, you know, a a whiskey, it's like, that's the only time I'm like, man, I really, I missed out on that. Because I didn't really discover the outdoors until, you know, I was about two years sober. And so I never got to sit around the campfire and get drunk. And so that's the only thing. I mean, everything else, I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't I don't really miss it. I, I think, you know, I think mushrooms, you know, there, there is an appeal to mushrooms for sure, you know, and and, you know, there is that that kind of that I'm like, hmm, it's kind of fun.
0: Totally. I have a friend who uh, he's like 30 years clean, 30 years clean and sober working a 12 step yeah. program. And he's like, I'm fixing my bus. I'm driving to the desert and I'm eating mushrooms. And like and I'm mm. hearing that story more and more from people who are working a rigorous yeah. program.
1: But there there is that and I you know and I you know there there seems to be a bit of a um I don't know what you would call it but I guess perspective shift in some you know psychotropic you know drugs and you know it's that whole thing of like medicinal versus recreational and you know is you know, is taking if you, all right, if you're suffering from crazy depression and you go do a ketamine, you know, infusion with a therapist and it helps your, you know, rebalance your, you know, the chemical imbalance in your brain, well, it's, it's prescribed by a doctor, it's under doctor supervision. It's you know, some people would be like, no, that's a relapse. Other people would be like, well no, that's that's medicinal. And that there's that strange. There is that kind of parting of the seas. I think we're gonna be seeing a lot you know, going forward in recovery.
0: Right. And I, I never expected to be, you know, I never expected to have a podcast about addiction and recovery. Like this was not my plan. It just sort of happened this way. So I'm hearing more and mm-hmm. more stories, like more and more the spectrum of recovery. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, uh, and like, as I track down guests, they feel the need to qualify how sober they are. You know what I mean? Like somebody will be like, yeah. well, I'm a heroin addict, but I drink occasionally. And it's like, I, I can't judge anybody. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, it's like it's yeah. it's their yeah. life, you know. And then and then, the coolest thing totally. for me is like, and I and I'm kind of trying to develop this idea. Like when we started making the show, I always put down people on medicated assisted treatment, kind of like fucking around, like kind of making fun of. Because I used to be on methadone and I used mm-hmm. to be on Suboxone, and I would just I just thought it was funny, and I never was on methadone without using. You know what I mean? I never actually had a real run Mm -hmm. of taking methadone as it was prescribed. I would be, like, shooting heroin as I was taking the methadone. So, like, and Chris would always, my partner who died, would always say, um, you know, support people in medicated-assisted treatment. And it occurred to me that I really, after he died, I realized I had to start supporting people because what am I going to do? Exclude people who are trying to have a nice life and have their path. And a listener wrote in an email that, you know, she was a heroin addict who was on Suboxone and smoking weed, but she was off of heroin. And she said that she never was attracted to recovery until she heard dopey and, that, and she wrote this, and I've been buzzing about it ever since, and she said that Dopey was at the vanguard of the alt-recovery movement. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> the alt-recovery movement. And like we've been trying to develop what an alt-recovery movement could look like. And for me, I think alt-recovery mm-hmm. is anything you're willing to work at to improve your life. And 12-step can be among those things. You know what I mean? Like, What do you mm-hmm. think about this concept of alt-recovery where – like people, you know, like the way I like to imagine it is somebody gets sober because they're so interested in hang gliding that they stop using and they start hang gliding, or cooking, or ghost hunting, or really any kind of self actualized activity to replace the obsessive, yeah. compulsive components of using. What do you think about this alt recovery movement shtick?
1: I listen, I, I think that there is, um, I'm not opposed to it at all. I just think it it, it has to come down to, I think uh, the clarification. Like for me, I think there needs to be new kind of almost pronouns for it. Okay, it's like well, I am I am sober. That means I don't do drugs of any sort, and I you know recreationally, and I don't drink alcohol, and uh, and I think I think you just need to clarify what and you got to come up with a term for it okay so uh you know i am what is the term for you know i'm off heroin but i'm on suboxone you know i'm i'm you know i'm like i think i think you just have to clarify just clarify that because i think it gets dangerous when you start having people going out there throwing terms out like california sober which obviously created a bit of a stir. yeah um and i and i think I, i think that can be detrimental because um, you know, sober means one thing. Um, and if it's that thing of, but then if you are no longer in a place where you were and you've made huge leaps and you're not, you know, shooting heron anymore and you, you know, you found that just drinking beer occasionally and smoking pot before bed is what keeps your life in order. Like you can't say you're sober, you know, you say maybe I've, I don't know. I don't know what you call it.
0: I think the term I'm hearing more and more is they're in recovery. It's their version of yeah. recovery. I don't think they use sober, you know, and I'm finding that yeah. I use the term sober more about a mindset than about not using. You know what I mean? When and when I yeah, I mean I don't use mind or mood altering substances, but like sometimes I can be abstinent but totally not sober, like angry or spiteful yeah. or or crazed. You know what I mean? And you're not think you might yeah. be abstinent, but you're not thinking soberly in those moments. You know, it's yeah. it's just like it's a whole, it's a whole word game, um, but it's all about somebody having a good life, right? It's all about the ability to be yeah. happy.
1: No. Exactly. You know. And but where, where are you at with like, okay, what if you, re, you know, you hit a place and you're like, you know what, I, you know, I'm I'm dealing with a lot of, you know, trauma, whatever coming up, and you know, treatments not, you know, recovery's not working, twelve steps not working, going to the therapist, going on the antidepressants not working. Would you go? Would you? explore the alternative yourself like would you look at maybe doing you know some kind of mushroom treatment or you know mdma treatment
0: well i mean it's funny it's funny you should mention that because like for me it's like when i was talking to my friend who has 30 years and he's ready to go to the desert to eat some mushrooms as soon as he said that i could feel that psychedelic feeling of mushrooms in me. You know that feeling when like the back of your hands start feeling that crazy psilocybin energy or whatever. And as soon as I even felt it, I was like, I need to get stoned. Mm -hmm. Like I need to like deaden this feeling. For me, for me personally, I'm coming up on six years. uh, I have two little kids. Like I don't want to add mood or mind altering substances because I don't want to take the risk. You know, I don't know... That I, I couldn't yeah. like, I mean, I'm a little bit intrigued at the idea of going on some retreat to Costa Rica and eating ayahuasca and having some crazy spiritual fucking epiphany. Like, I love the idea, but I, I just, in the past, whenever I've done anything, it results in me smoking bong hits all day first. Like, that's my, my first thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I like yeah. the idea of yeah. that a little bit too much, you know what I mean? Like, I like the, yeah. like New York legal weed is about to happen. You know what I mean? They're about to open the, I mean, it's legal now. They're about to open dispensaries in Manhattan. You know what I mean? And you could just Mm -hmm. walk into a dispensary in Manhattan and be like, I want the purple kush. You know what I mean? The real purpley purple. I loved the purpley purple purple. You know what I mean? (laughs) Were you a big pothead? You liked
1: it when you, when you liked it, when you threw it on the wall, it would stick.
0: (laughs) Dude. I liked it when you smoked it and you could taste the purple. You know what I mean? You could taste the purple in the bud. It was a certain thing. You know, um, I don't think, so for me, like to answer your question, I can't, it's a risk reward thing. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. can't risk, my life was so bad and like, so out of control. And like, now I have people that totally count on me. So like, I'm not mm-hmm. looking to add a mood or a mind altering substance to my yeah. recovery.
1: Do you, do you find people in your recovery community put you on a bit of a pedestal because of your podcast?
0: No, they don't really. I don't talk about it. I don't talk about the okay. podcast much. And um, you know, when I started it, I, I would want to promote it at the meeting, and they'd be like, "Do you have any AA-related announcements?" I want. I have a podcast, but I didn't do that. And then, and then <laughs> once once in a while, I'll approach someone at the meeting that I think might be good on the show, or you know, what if I get? I, I mean, like, I also like. I'm not really fellowshipping hardcore with the people at my meeting. I kind of just go to the meeting and I come home and I, and I kind of fellowship with people I've known for years, just like friends and stuff. But like when I do fellowship or hang out with the guys at my meeting, I mention it, but it doesn't seem like any of them give a shit about it at all. So no, I'm going to say no. Um, Okay. But I also like, I've been, I always share at the meeting, like it's fucked up. You know how like, like comics will go, Like, try to work out material in some shittier club and then play a big club and they'll know, they'll like have woodshed their material. I try, I like woodshed my dopey material at the meeting, which like sometimes is just like a bad decision. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, the other day I called somebody a cunt and we, and you and I had the big cunt conversation when you were on dopey. And I got into this big fight with somebody and I shared about it at the meeting that this person was a cunt and people got super angry at me, and, uh, <laughs> and it fucked me up. You know what I mean? And it's kind of kept me from sharing at the meeting a little bit because I, like, I, 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 cause I used to just deliver the laughs and the recovery, and I felt like, you know when you go to a meeting yeah. and you share well and you're like, I'm the shit because I share good, and then you don't share good? I just got shamed that I, I said, cunt. I, I curse so much at the meeting. They don't want me to curse anymore. They don't want to have good laughs. So like they kind of like what? What are you think? What are you thinking?
1: What? I mean, that's what is you, what is it like? You in like the old school? Are you going to like the old school meetings?
0: Uh, I go to a beach meeting on Long Island. Okay, and it used uh, to be just. Okay. It
1: used to be. Is it, has it been there for like fifty years?
0: I think it's no. I think it's been there like fifty. I think it's been there like fifteen years, and they said that cursing used okay. to be encouraged, but now they're they don't want cursing, and I think it's because. I mean, I don't know. I think it's there's more of a genteelness to it now. It used to be very rugged, yeah. all a bunch of contractors and ex firefighters and shit who would love to curse, and like, and I'm trying not to curse, but I also want to get laughs. So when I say "fucking" and "cunt," it's it's big laughs. So it's like, am I carrying the message or am I trying to, uh, you know, get big laughs at the meeting? You know what I mean? Like, like when you let me ask you yeah. this, okay? When you used to go to meetings, it's like I found after that whole "cunt" thing that that was, the, that was perfect example of me being self-seeking, right? That me mm-hmm. saying cunt and me trying to get laughs, sharing at a meeting was a total exercise in self-seeking. You know what I mean? Seeking adulation. Yeah. And then I was wondering, how much is sharing at all? Just self-seeking. Have you ever found that? Le- I, please.
1: Yes. I, 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 for me, I, I often think, what can I say in two, you know, one to, to four minutes, depending on the meeting, that is, is, um, is, is, is my genuine truth, I guess, would be the term. Because you can't. Like, it's, can you imagine going to a therapist's office and sitting down? He's been like, all right, you've got two minutes. Tell me what's going on. And so for me, sharing is, I think, it, it's about the newcomer. It's just kind of throwing up a little a smoke signal, being like, hey, you know, I often try and frame it as like, this is, this is, you know, this is where I'm at. This is what I, I have done. Um, I, I can't ever get into, I never get into real life, you know, nuanced issues. I just, I, I'm, I'm the king of sharing a general way.
0: But that's good because you're just carrying the message in a nice and humble way. Like that's yeah. the number. Non- try that's like not self-seeking, you know, where do you find
1: yeah, self-seeking
0: but, exists for you in general?
1: Oh man. I mean, well, look at the, the nature of my job. <laughs> I, I make, I do, I go on TV and make shows doing stuff. It's, it's all self-seeking. Um, it's like, Hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. Um, but I know that. And I'm, a, and I'm hyper aware of it. Um, and I only really, and I, you know, and I kind of, I, I share this with uh people who am close. I literally I only I only do TV because A, I've never done anything else and B, if I could find a job that paid me as well, I would go do that. Like I just it's just kind of what it is. But yeah, it's I think that's probably the most self-seeking thing I do.
0: What about like the self-seeking aspects of social media?
1: You know, I've really really pulled back from um, contributing to social media, I'll I'll digest social media. You know, I'll I'll go on Instagram and YouTube and things like that. I don't I don't do Twitter anymore. I don't do Facebook, um, and I rarely I just don't post that much anymore. I don't see the benefit of it. You know, there was a time where it was like, oh, if you're an entertainment, you're a celebrity. Post, post, post. You can make all this money, and you can do this and that. And it like, it, but I never actually saw. Like a huge financial uptick for being overly active in social media. It never translated for me. And I'm just like, what the fuck is the point in any of this?
0: Like, does anyone really give
1: a shit that I went to the beach today or I'm, you know, cooking dinner at home or I'm, I just, I don't see the point. Well, I know and so I know much. More,
0: more people care about you doing it than me doing it, but continue. <laughs> But I'm just
1: saying though, like, it's like, I, you know, I guess, you know, when I, when I frame it up and I, you know, and I digest social media, like the things that I enjoy engaging in, um, with, you know, my friends who post or whatever, like, like the funny stuff, like I, I enjoy, but I just don't see anything that I do that's really postable. I mean, I like posting pictures of my girlfriends with my kids and stuff like that and, um, But, like, I just, I don't know. Like, I I don't see a huge point in social media anymore because it's just invariably turned into a shit-talking fest.
0: Right, or a me, me, me fest. Yeah. I find myself, like, scrolling in social media, and it feels like, I don't know if it feels more like bad coke or smoking, but it feels somewhere between bad coke and smoking cigarettes. Like, because you're just (laughs) scrolling, you get nothing (laughs) from it, You know what I mean? And then like when I'm not doing it, I'm kind of like, I want to, I want to be scrolling. Like I get a weird phantom urge for it. Like it's a cigarette. And, um, yeah, which is not good. You know what I mean? Like, I also think that like, and I'm a neurotic insecure person, just, I have to put that out there. Like, because I don't get likes like, I mean, you get like fucking 50,000, you put up your, with your children and 50,000 people are like, you're a good person, Jack, we like you. You know what I mean? And it's like, I put something up and it's like, I, you know, and it's just my insecurity. You know what I mean? It's like, I bet if I got 50,000, I'd be like, where's the 320,000 or whatever. You know what I mean? Do you, do you ever suffer that shit or are you beyond that shit?
1: Um, you know, it's funny. I'll look at things and I'm like, Huh, why did that only get twelve hundred likes? But that got twenty thousand likes. Like that—that that to me is often been kind of the about it. You know, I'm like, this is this is a weird thing we all engage in. I don't often obsess on the likes, um, and I and I will never read comments. I just don't. I, I mean, if I do, it's it's I'll I'll just see like what the people I follow commented. You know, I'll never go past. You know, they put like the people you follow first. Um, but yeah, I just, man, I think social media is, I I think it's a real, you know, it's funny. You're seeing like these studies coming out and they're like, you know, underage, you know, drinking and drug use and sex is at an all time low. And it's because kids are just sound on fucking social media all day and they're not, they're not going out there and doing stupid shit. And it's like, is that? that really a good thing or is it a bad thing? I don't know. Like it's, it's weird.
0: Did you see the documentary about the, uh, the drug aspect of social media? I think it was the social contract or something. I don't remember. Social dilemma. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's like all about the endorphins that kids or adults get when they pick up their phone and how there is a, an actual neurochemical reaction. I think that I didn't even consider the fact that kids are doing less drugs and fucking less Uh, because they're getting that shit on the phone. You know what I mean? Is it a good thing? I don't know. You know what I mean? Kids are getting bullied on the phone. Kids aren't living adventurously, but they're not. But then again, there's a shitload of kids ODing young still and getting into car wrecks and everything. It's all bad. The fucking world is fucked up. What was I going to say? Dude, totally. uh, You're talking about your career. Like, you are, if you Wikipedia you, I think it says media personality, right? And you're like, I don't know, like, like mm. you're you're a TV star, you know what I mean? You're a TV star. You do shows right now. You're in the mix of this paranormal stuff. Um, how did that even happen? Yep. I'm yep. curious. How did how did you become the ghost guy? Um, I so in 2011
1: I signed on to do this show called Haunted Highway, and it was on Sci Fi Channel, and it was essentially. A Blair Witch TV show, like we shot it ourselves, and you know, me and a co-host would go off on these adventures, and we would look for ghosts, or cryptids, or aliens, or whatever. And uh, we shot it all ourselves, and it was um, a really uh, tough, tough gig. I mean, it's it was it was tough to do, and it, I got burnt out on it pretty quickly. But the interesting thing is that you know, the paranormal community is very tight knit, and it's really hard to kind of get any um, credibility in, I've, I learned. and But for some, I guess people really enjoyed the, the way that we did Haunted Highway, and it kind of put me in the good graces of the paranormal community. And, you know, that show ended after two seasons, but I kind of had my foot in, like I wanted to get back and do more paranormal stuff. And then um, in 2000, I think it was... 14, I started doing World Detour with my dad and so I kind of put the paranormal stuff on hold um, and then and, and then, Travel Channel, like hey, we want to do another you know, we want to do a paranormal show with Jack you know, they reached out and you know, I did a I took a meeting and they bought a series um, and it kind of just, it's just like adding bricks to the wall and I've just been doing tons of stuff for them and and I, I just kind of do it because fun, like I grew up watching the X-Files and so it's like every time I go and film something, it's like my own personal X-Files episode.
0: I love the X-Files. I found the X-Files to be so it's great. so relaxing. You know, such a such a yeah. well-crafted, relaxing show. Um, and and mm-hmm. Mulder was just one of the greatest characters in television history. Fox Mulder was just totally. like the, the yeah. greatest. But let me ask you this. You know, your dad, like... Uh, and this occurred to me kind of like while I was, you know, studying you for our... Or, or I was looking forward to our interview. And I, and your dad, you know, the Prince of Darkness, blah, 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 bites the head off bats. Is it connected to paranormal? Like, is that how you got to the Haunted Highway show?
1: Um, you know, it's funny. I was kind of having this thought the other day. I was like, oh, you know, my dad did, you know, he started out in Black Sabbath, and his whole thing was like, make scary mu- music. And, and, you know, I don't know. Like, it, I think there's probably some veins of similarity in the sense that you know black sabbath and you know in the kind of aussie early solo years he really leaned into the taboo of the kind of darker side of of you know metal and hard rock and you know this making paranormal tv shows definitely taps into that it's um you know it's you're dealing with dark kind of subject matters and often with like sinister stories and you know is there a cult stuff going on is there you know is there a demon it's like there's it's all kind of dark and weird and spooky and falls under that horror category so i mean there's definitely similarities
0: but do you think that's what why the first thing happened
1: i don't know i honestly don't know like for me it was just like They were, I I kind of, it just, it just happened randomly, you know? It was like, hey, do you want to go do this? And I was like, all right.
0: Right, right. Did you have any personal uh, horror stories, demon stories, ghost stories?
1: Before I started filming or?
0: Yeah, like in um, in your youth or anything.
1: I'd had, I'd had like weird ghost stuff happen. Like hearing, um, I remember Kelly and I, we were home alone and we heard someone in the house walking around upstairs and the floorboards upstairs had a very unique like creak to them when you walked on them. And we heard someone walking down the hall, getting closer and closer to the point where like we were, we were in my mom's bedroom. We were homesick from school. I like ran and locked the door, called my mom. She was, it was back in the day when he had car phones. And I was like, someone's in the house and she's like, all right, lock the door. I'll be home soon. And it got to the point where whatever was walking or whoever was walking towards us got so close, they they, they got to the top of the staircase that's right out front of my parents' door. It's like an old spiral staircase that would um, – I mean, it goes right to my parents' bedroom door. And it sounded like they were about to come down the stairs. And Kelly and I, like, opened up my parents' window, and we thought about jumping out the window because we were like, someone is in the house. Um, that was probably the most significant. And then randomly – my dad and I were a. We had a beach house, and we both saw a woman with long dark hair walking down the staircase. And um, we both like shot up and looked, like, who the hell's that? We're the only ones in the house. And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, Did you? And he's like, Yeah. He's like, I just saw a woman. And he thought it was my older sister Amy because had long. She, whoever this woman was, had like long dark hair. And I went down, no one was downstairs, like nothing. Um, and we both saw that. And to this day, he's like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> what does he think about the whole like paranormal career?
1: Uh, he likes it. Cause you know, we do, we do a show together on travel channel, uh, as well. Well, it's now it's discovery plus, but, um, called, uh, Osborne's want to believe. And I basically show them paranormal caught on camera stuff. And we debate it, whether we think it's real. And, um, my dad is now fully obsessed with UFO stuff. Like it's all he does is watch UFO shows. Now it used to be like world war two documentaries. And it's like, Nope. If he's not watching like UFO files or ancient aliens or so one of the, you know, many UFO shows he, or space. Now he's, he loves space and UFOs. That's his thing.
0: Why do you suppose he's so into it? Did you see they're releasing all this information now too?
1: I think that's, that's partly why it is. I think it's, Because doing Osborne's want to believe and watching all these videos, and then now they're going to do the drop, hopefully, the intel drop, I think that he's just kind of, he's intrigued.
0: What's the intel drop? Break it down.
1: Okay, so in the COVID relief bill, the first one that Trump had pushed through, uh, like right in the early stages of the pandemic, he slid in. A little tiny bit of info in there and it said by june 2021 the government um must release any and all of its findings to do with the ufo phenomenon that has been going on in america or the world and there essentially there's this there was this a group put together called ATIP and all And they were these government run programs to investigate UFOs previous to, uh, the Trump administration. Um, and they, I mean, there's, this shit's real. Like there's footage now they're releasing. Uh, there's tons of testimonies from credible, you know, Navy pilots, you know, people on ships. Like it's, it's a real thing. And, and you're starting to see the misinformation now. You're seeing like congressmen be like, oh, this is a, this is a foreign, uh, you know, adversary, you know, basically showboating, boating that there is, there's no way that in, there's no way in our understanding of reality that China or Russia or North Korea has the technology to have a craft go from sea level to 80,000 feet in seconds,
0: right or or didn't develop, didn't develop that technology through the aid of some finding you know what i'm saying like yes i i hear you why do you suppose trump slid it in like what what did what do you think trump's agenda was there
1: i don't know i really i have i'm like why of all things i think he probably did it just to do it like i think he did a lot of things just to do
0: it right um right. to be splashy and flashy. i don't know yeah yeah
1: exactly like uh, it wasn't Jada, it was, uh, you know, it was aliens. Right. You know, you just had to kind of throw it in. Like, I mean, shit, if I was president, I'd be like, all right, here it is. Just because then you go down in history as being the president that disclosed aliens are real.
0: Right. And that would be, I mean, we're getting close to that, to that place. Did you ever meet Trump?
1: Yes. Uh, I've never met Trump. No. My mom did. She did, um, she did a season of The uh, Apprentice. Uh, yeah apprentice celebrity apprentice
0: and you did dancing with the stars
1: i did yeah
0: how was that
1: um it was an awesome experience it was really really awesome i i went in going oh this is going to be so lame i'm going to get voted out in like week one, and um i made it all the way to the end you know came in third place and it was a, a really great experience um Cheryl, who was, you know, my dance partner was, was great. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome.
0: Could you dance before that? Hell no. So and, and to this day,
1: I say, you know, my, my, my girlfriend was a professional ballerina for many, many years. And, you know, she, I say like, you know, she can, she can dance. I can't dance, I can regurgitate uh, choreography. There's a difference.
0: Well, I don't think I could even do that. So I I have to applaud you for that. Um, I have a question. I have a couple more questions. Okay, Um, I we're both parents. My oldest just turned eleven. My oldest daughter graduated elementary school today, and uh, and she put in thank you, and she put in her yearbook that I was her hero, and it was like very it was very emotional. And and today she got an award for being, uh, you know. It's like it's like a civics award for being kind, and, wow. and and I was sitting in the audience and I was like, like I was gonna cry. You know, it was such a beautiful moment, and it was funny because they were giving out all these awards, and uh, and my daughter wasn't getting one, and I felt myself just kind of slumping further down in my chair, like blowing bubbles with my gum, feeling resentful of how my daughter's not gonna get an award and everybody else's, and then they gave her this incredible award, and not every kid got an award, and I felt. So proud. It was just such an emotional parenting moment for a heroin addict. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure for anybody. Mm-hmm. But when you don't think that you can even support a family or be a father or whatever, and you have a moment like that. So, like, I felt like us drifting apart, okay, before recently. And what I decided we should do to help with the drifting apart is find a TV show to watch. So we, mm-hmm. found, we decided after a couple of years of thinking about it that we were going to watch Cobra Kai, have you ever watched Cobra Kai?
1: I have, yeah.
0: Okay, do you ever watch it with your kids or no?
1: Um, I think I think Pauls watched the odd episode with me.
0: Okay, because Cobra Kai is rife with like blowjob references. Like they say, like if a girl is looking at a boy is looking at a girl, that the boy wants to eye bang the girl, eye bang. And I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm sitting with my eleven year old, and I'm just like, uh. But, like, I never watched anything provocative with my parents. I never did anything provocative with my parents. I had a TV in my room. Like, my life with them was totally G or PG. You know, like, and now I'm, like, taking this leap with my daughter because I want to stay close with her. You came from a different kind of family. Like, do you know what I'm getting at with this? Like, what did you see and what are you willing to do?
1: You know, it's, when I was like five years old, I used to watch Robocop. Now, you might just think, oh, okay, Robo, but like Robocop <laughs> as very, an adult yeah. is, is, is still, there's drug use, there's titties, there's like graphic violence. It's like everything is in that, like really fucked up humor.
0: Right. And I'm like, wow, my
1: parents <laughs> were okay with me watching Robocop at five years old on VCR in like my bedroom. Like, what the fuck? Um, I, I wouldn't even let my daughter watch RoboCop now. Uh, I, I mean, like I watched, uh, you know, every now and then we're like, oh, let's watch a movie. And I, and I, I watch, um, I try and find movies that were like great when I was a kid that are kind of, you know, they're not like a Disney film or something like that. Like I, um, I, like we watched me and Pearl, Pearl's my eldest, she's nine years old. We watched Avatar together the other night. And she'd never seen it and she loved it. she was like, Oh my god, it's so good. Nice. And then during the pandemic I put Titanic on for my daughters. And they they
0: love
1: Titanic. And they'll sit through the full three hours of it. Um and I I can I can stomach that. You've seen there's a there's clearly a James Cameron thread here with my viewing for the children. Um
0: I get yeah. When you were a kid, though, like you might go into your room and watch RoboCop or watch cable or what. Like I watched a ton of inappropriate shit too, but I saw nothing with my parents. Like, what kind of inappropriate yeah. shit did you? Like, I'm sure there were parties at the house. I'm sure there was like, like a level of of craziness, or was there not? Like, what was it like?
3: There was there was rarely
1: parties at the house. You know, my mom kept a pretty tight ship at home. Um, you know, it was very, uh, it, there wasn't, you know, we didn't have, because of my dad kind of yo-yoing, there was rarely alcohol in the house. Um, but obviously we would go on tour with my dad and this was on tour in the, you know, in the eighties and nineties and two thousands when it was, I mean, it was, everything was on the table when you went to an Aussie concert in, you know, 1992. And so I, I was exposed to a lot of humanity. Um, and, um, I don't know, like the stuff that, yeah, there was nothing that was ever really uncomfortable to watch. You know, there were uncomfortable conversations. Like my sisters used to tease the shit out of me. And so when it came to talking about girls and things like that, like I I would keep my mouth shut. Like I I just, I just didn't want to get teased by my sisters.
0: Right. So your mother made sure that your experience as a kid kind of paralleled the experience you give as a parent like she made sure that to a degree
1: i'm i'm a lot more structured with my kids than my parents were with me you know like i don't let my kids miss school i don't you know i i guess would let them miss school without a good reason um you know i'm pretty you know i if they commit to if they want to do something they commit to it i don't let them quit like there's a lot of things that i'm I'm, you know, and I'm trying to expose my kids to more stuff outside of the kind of Hollywood uh, uh, life. I mean, we don't really. I'm not like Hollywoody guy. I mean, my kids go to a very modest school, and um, I'm not. I'm not like up in it. And I don't have friends in the entertainment industry, so it's not like they're going to these crazy, you know, houses with all these celebrities. I mean, I, I don't even think I have. You know, I could probably count on one hand the people that would call my friend who are actually in entertainment as a you know an artist or something.
0: Right. It's funny though. It's just like the, it's like every generation, like parents, like it's like you said you don't let your kids quit anything, right? Did you say that or did or do? See, I was like the ultimate quitter as a kid. I quit everything, and my parents couldn't care less. I mean, like I think I had a TV in my room when I was like nine. And, like, my my TV became way more of a parent than either of my parents. And I, like, I still have a love relationship with the television. I'm just, like, happy to see the Mm TV. I'm happy to see it's (laughs) on and stuff. Um, And, like, sometimes I let my kid quit stuff. It's weird, though, because I want to let her quit, but I know it's not good for her. Right? You know, like, I want to let her have the freedom to be, like, I'm fucking done with this. I don't like this. But I hear what you're saying. That's yeah. like, that, we're like that generation, or you're, again, a, a little bit younger than me, yeah. but like, we're like the classic quitter generation. Like, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. And your parents are like, all right, well, we want to keep you happy. And now this new kind yeah. of parenting is, we want you to develop character because we didn't develop any as kids and we became adults totally. as children, right? That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Now, Well,
1: we- and it's I, I think too, it, it, it creates struggle. And I think struggle is so important and feeling, and I know as an addict, I I for the longest time was uncomfortable with struggle and what struggle brought. And I would try to escape that. And I think being okay with struggle and finding kind of serenity amongst the discomfort, I think is, is really an important life lesson because life is not easy. But yet we keep trying to, 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 fool ourselves into making it easy and it and it never will be like and i'm sure people like oh well it's probably easy for him to say that it's like no man like i i still no matter what i do i still live relatively paycheck to paycheck you know when when the the when everyone was getting furloughed and you know and when lockdown happened and i had friends who were like tripping out i'm like hey like i've never had a job for more than six months i literally like a show ends and it's like, it's all right, there's no, you know, you're not gonna, there's no guarantee it's coming back next, you know, next year, like, so hold out, like, and so it's for me, like, it's, I have to live paycheck to paycheck, and I have to, like, figure out how to make that, and I, and that's a struggle that, um, I think, it, I find purpose in it, because it's a driving force for me to keep, all right, you've got, you just, you know, you got this job, it's gonna last X amount of weeks, and Before this job is over, you got to start figuring out what your next one is, because you've got kids and you've got this, you know, life you need to maintain and you need to figure that out. And I and I I enjoy that.
0: Well, I mean, I think you just said the like, this is like my meaning for today, because that phrase, what you said in there, that life is going to fucking suck and you have to find a way to keep some sort of serenity around you when things are uncomfortable, like finding a thread of comfortability when you're not comfortable is the whole deal. Right. And like, and it's easy to forget that, you know what I mean? Especially like, I remember when I was in rehab and my counselor would be like, what do you have against feeling uncomfortable? And it's like everything. But what you just said is the whole crux. But the question, then the the flip side of that question is, you know, like, do you have, I mean, you, you work a good program, you know what I mean? You come from a, a family with untold riches Like, do you have to work or are you just like, I'm not taking their money?
1: I, I, I will not take that. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, and I like, listen, if push came to shove and it was was like, Hey, I fuck up and I don't get into the job and shit starts, you know, I mean like, dude, I was having to sell shit off during COVID. I was like selling off, you know, assets to kind of keep things going. Um, and it's, uh, I, I will, I am one of those people that like, I tell my parents, like, don't buy me a Christmas gift. Don't buy me a birthday gift. I don't want it. I don't want it. Like, I just don't, I don't like doing that. Um, and it's, and I don't know why, like, I just don't, do it's you, not do like you think, I, I,
0: I'm, I'm pr- no, go please. I'm sorry.
1: No, like I'm, I'm, I, I'm sure if I turned around to my parents, I'm like, well, that's it. I'm 35 and I'm just going to, kick back, I'm sure my parents would be like, oh, well, okay, fine. But like, that's gross.
0: Do you think that you like you maxed out on being like spoiled rock star kid and you're like, that's the thing I don't want to do more than anything. I don't give a fuck as long as I'm not that.
1: You know, I I started working really young. Like when I was 14, I was working for a record label. And so I... I, you know, I was getting, I I was getting like a small kind of salary from a label then. Um, and my parents were always very, my, my parents treated me very different from my sisters. My sisters, um, they, you know, I think my parents felt the need to kind of give them more, um, because I don't know why but for me, they were kind of a bit like, all right, there's your pocket money. If you blow it through, if you blow through it, like that's on you. And, um, and I was, and I kind of have, a, I always had a pride in working and it's funny too. It's like, I'll see stuff going back to like social media. Like people will write comments being like, you know, Oh, there you are like spending daddy's money and like, you're just a rich. And I'm like, really? Like, that's the best insult you can do. Like, if you go on the internet, you can find out that I've been working for, like, 21 years without a break. Like, I'm not doing that for free. <laughs> like, it's like, come on. Like, if you're going to insult me, at least come up with one that's not, you're just spending daddy's money.
0: Well, obviously, um, your mother had, I mean, your grandfather had this legendary work ethic. Your your father's yeah. work ethic is, is ridiculous. And your mother's work ethic makes your father's work ethic look like less than or whatever. So it doesn't. It yeah. makes sense yeah. why you would go after it. Um, and then when you talk about, like, I've been working in TV, so I work in TV. If you could do anything, if there was the Jack Osborne dream gig, like, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know.
1: I don't... In, in like, I guess, ignorantly, I don't know because... I don't know, like, yeah, I, I really, I, um, you know, I, I, I've done a lot, As probably unpopular, as this is, but I've been a, I've been a reserve cop on and off, for, uh, since 2006.
0: Why? Um, and Why did I, that happen? Yeah. Why though? Why so did you do that? So I did,
1: I did a TV show in 2006 called On and Famous for CBS, and, and although the TV show was very poorly executed and it never actually showed the amount of work that went into like actually getting us to be qualified to be police. It basically just started with us. Like we had like an intense police academy and they showed none of it. And it just basically started with us like getting in police cars and everyone was like, well, that's fake, but it really wasn't like it was as real as it gets. It was probably one of the last like genuinely real celebrity reality shows. Um, And I just maintained my status and I've gone to switch to police departments and various points. But, um, yeah, like it it probably and it's super unpopular to say, you know, that especially in this day and age, like working in law enforcement to some capacity. But, yeah, it would probably be that. It's been a passion of mine for a while. What
0: attracted you to that?
1: As as weird as it sounds, and it's probably as cliche, but it, it was helping people.
0: Nice. It's like service. it's
1: it's it it's service and, and I think that it, it taught me so much about giving back to a community and you know, are there some really rotten, shitty cops? Yes. And they do they become cops for the wrong reasons? Yes. But the the guys that I worked with and the guys that I surrounded myself with and the time I've worked in, you know, volunteered and been a reserve in law enforcement have not been those people these have been people who have like committed their life to making their community better and and it's not bullshit and i've had amazing experiences recovery based experiences in you know while i've been on patrol like i've had like crazy 12 step conversations with guys who are like you know who unfortunately were going back to jail but you're, you know i was i actually I, I don't know. Did I share? I don't know if I shared this story last time I was on. But I, um, I got a phone call from um, a lieutenant of my old department, and he said, "Hey, I, I have someone I want to share with you." And he and he told me he's like he's like, you remember? You know, we we had a. I was with him, and we'd arrested uh, this guy, young guy, um, and he had a like a probation violation and whatever. Had a warrant, so we we arrested him, and and his probation violation was to do with it was a drug issue, and you know, I was really not, I never, I would always stray away from making unnecessary drug arrests. You know, if there was a not, if there was a victim, if it's a victimless crime, I was always like, well, all right, he's got a bag of dope on him. Like take the dope, send him on his way, like whatever. Um, so I got chatting with him and I'm like, so what's your deal? And he's like, oh man, I'm just so hooked on heroin and, and I was with the guy for like three hours from the time, you know, you made the arrest to the booking, the whole thing. It's a long time. And um, we just had like a, just a real straight up kind of recovery conversation. And I kind of told him what I did and what my past was and all that. And so my lieutenant called me years later and was like, hey, like, do you remember that story? And I was like, yeah. He said, well, his parents wrote me a letter. And unfortunately, he died of a fentanyl overdose. Mm. But the longest time he stayed sober was after we'd arrested him. He went to jail, he got out of jail, he went right into treatment, and he stayed sober for like six years. I'm not saying that was because of me, but it was like, I'm hey, sure. like I was I was put in a position to share my experience with someone, and that translated to something beautiful for that guy and his family for a short period of time. Those are the stories that don't ever get shared about law enforcement. Really? It sucks.
0: Yes. Yeah. Especially in the last few years, it's all been the other way. And it's all all been like defund the police and all this stuff where they don't talk about like the beauty of community policing, of bringing a community together and like looking out for the community because it's hard to see it. You know, if you don't see it, you don't see it. You know what I mean? If you don't experience it, it sucks. Um, All right. Now this is Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. So would you like to do the Dopey (laughs) voicemail? Or the dopey email? Okay.
1: Oh, let's do the dopey email.
0: Okay. Would you read it? Sure. Do you have it on tap?
1: Hold on. Let me pull it up.
0: Before you even read it, it, though, let me ask you a question, okay? Because I'm imagining you on tour with your dad pre-recovery, right? Were you on tour with your dad when you were using? Yeah. Yeah. What was the worst it got on, on those tours if you're using?
1: Oh, man. Like, I was... I was, uh, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of Dr. feel goods around on tours back in the early 2000s, so pills are plenty. I got, I actually got, um, uh, at one point I got Quaaludes from a doctor, um, and yeah, and that was, uh, that was, that was interesting. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> there was uh,
0: actually a doctor on the tour who who had, so was it, it the Mandrax? Was it the real old no,
1: no, so, yeah, so what, the, the doctor wouldn't come on the tour, but, like, venues will bring in, like, a, a doctor, because, you know, so there's always a doctor at a venue um, when you're doing these huge concerts. And, you know, because musicians get banged up and this and that, and they always want to get checked out, and they always want to get the good stuff. And so they, that, that's where the term Dr. good" came from. Um, and this doctor had froze, like, 50,000 quaaludes, Put him in a like a crazy freezer and he had a bunch and like he gave me some. I was like, I was like, whoa, like having quaaludes in the 2000s. They they were the real lemons. Like they were the the real deal.
0: It's weird. Like I I feel like in the 90s I had access to to quaaludes. Uh, Like I was getting these lemons, but I don't know how and I can't really remember it. (laughs) And it's like I wonder if it was the effect (laughs) of the quaaludes or if it didn't even happen. So like you're you're just this kid on the road and some and you're like, I'm looking for pills, and the doctor's like, Oh, you're in luck. I happen to freeze five thousand quaaludes. Like, how did I come up?
1: It would, it would always be through like guys I was friends with. It would never be directly from the doc because they were like, Well, I'm not giving this sixteen year old kid this stuff. You know? And, and <laughs> so it's kinda like you know, I was I was like the the little sidekick to a lot of guys and you know, some would really look out for me and some were guys that would just like to party with me and it was like this really mixed match you know and it, it didn't i was I, I kept my shit together until i was about 14 and it was like you know my my hell-raising years were only 14 to 17 you know i got sober at 17 so there was there was a three-year run where Ozfest was uh, uh uh an out and out kind of you know shit show but there were some also really amazing moments like i can remember being in Pantera's dressing room, drinking with them, doing shots. And my mom walks in and I'm with Dimebag and you know, and and the guy in like, and Rex and and Phil, Phil never was in that. And he had his own room. Um, and uh, my mom walks in and she looks at me and I've got a shot in my hand. I'm like, oh shit. And Dimebag just grabs my mom drags her in the room and hands her a shot and like we're doing me and my mom are doing shots with pantera in their dressing room and it's like stuff like that you're kind of like all right that's kind of cool
0: right and it was it was before that she thought anything bad could come of it it's like that's the totally yeah was was there ever a point like before your shit got bad that you like used with your dad was he like have a pill with me or no well, no nothing like
1: that. no no it was always it was uh, you know it was very no he would never There was very very rare cases that i would even he would he was he, he he would hide it and there was a small window where he was openly smoking pot and drinking beer like out in the open in my teens um and it would never we never crossed the streams
0: i just had a guest on the show it was uh, this amazing guest it's called skinny vinny you should check him out he's a He's a character. He's this uh, skateboarder guy. Um, he's like a, a, a prank video guy. Very funny guy. He, he grew up, and his, him and his mother would take acid together. Can you imagine?
1: Dude, I was in rehab with this kid who was 17 years old, and he was shooting heroin with his dad.
0: Wow, that's a whole other thing.
1: That's <laughs> just dark, man. That's yeah. like I was like, whoa, and he would be like, you know, and it was like this really fine line because he would tell us this and then when it would come up in any group, he wouldn't, he would say, no, I was lying because he didn't want his dad to go to jail.
0: Well, it was
1: crazy. It was a wild story.
0: So you, I mean, it's like, it's funny because you grew up in this maelstrom of of fame, you know, drug culture, travel, and, and you were kept in a bubble. Like, you were not like you, I mean, you got out of the bubble and obviously developed an addiction. Cuts over quickly, but you had like there were boundaries and borders in your being raised by them. So that's cool. Yeah, there,
1: there were. It was. There was. It was a uh, yes. There, it, there was some boundaries and borders, but it was I pushed it constantly.
0: Well, I cannot tell you how what a joy it is that you are willing to come on our little show and and get loose with us. I love it. it makes me so happy.
1: Hey, it's all good, man. Thanks for having me.
0: But, dude. This is another thing that I think I talked about it on the show. Last time you came on the show, you're like, I'm going to promote it. And I'm such an annoying fucker. I texted you like a thousand times asking you to tweet it. And and by the time you actually tweeted it, it was your birthday. Did birth- I not? You did, but it was your birthday. And I was annoying you on your birthday. It was like two years ago. And I was like, I'm the most annoying person in the world. Um, so... I, I'm,
1: uh, <laughs> that's my fault though I'm, I'm terrible with that shit
0: well it's like, it's like in my mind it's like wow if Jack Osborne mentions dopey then we're gonna it's like it's gonna, it's gonna I won't have to have a job anymore that's, that's my magical thinking that's just not reality being, being a famous person being in the, the realm of famous people like how many annoying people are in your life like me
1: I don't think you're annoying
0: okay how many really annoying how <laughs> many actual annoying people are there
1: you know the good thing is i'm i'm not as it, it's not like it's 2003 and the osborne's just finished anymore like right. um, and my world is not my my world is straight business and family and kids and i have you know i i work i have my production company i make my tv shows and I have a small group of friends I hang out with, and I, I don't have a lot of um, I don't have a lot of annoying people hitting me up for for stuff anymore. Because there's ten million more people who are more famous than me with bigger social media than me that are going to benefit them more than a moron who looks for ghosts like. So it looks like I don't, it look, it I don't look, get a lot of it.
0: It looks like your life is pretty happy, joyous and free, just cruising around in the airstream, ghost hunting, raising children and living it up.
1: It it is, but you know, we are not impervious to life. It's it's as great as it's it's awesome. I'm definitely lucky. I'm I'm healthy. All I've all the right things, but yet life still happens, you know. There are still bad things that happen, there are still struggles and we just work through it.
0: Yes. Read the email. I don't want to close it up yet. Read the email.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, this is a email. Uh, we'll find out who it's from. Uh, hey, Dave, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Really love the show and how it helps provide some great perspective as I continue my own recovery journey. Glad you finally opened up uh, the new gear. Uh, everything sounds great so far. Yeah, this is uh, the new gear.
0: new gear. Look, 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 ah. look how fancy. You ready?
1: Oh, you it? oh, look at you. It's, right. Man,
0: look right? at you. Okay, continue. Like a
1: regular old Joe Rogan studio.
0: Yes. Um, just
1: wanted to share with you uh, a story from many years ago when I went on a bit of a wild adventure to school. This time, uh, this was a time when I, uh, when I started using Coke with a former friend slash roommate of mine who was much further along into his addiction. My memory is a little hazy, but I think we had been out drinking and doing coke somewhere uh, uh, until pretty late. And as usual, the idea of grabbing some more coke came up. I didn't drink and drive, uh, but he was comfortable with it and was going to regardless. So I wasn't really in a position to stop him. Plus I also wanted the coke. So I went along for the ride. Unfortunately, our closest connection was 30 to 40 minutes drive away. Uh, and it was already quite late slash early, probably after 5 or 6 a.m. at this point. We got to the area, but the hookup was in and needed uh, to stop at the ATM. We, can, uh, we confirmed over the phone uh, the hookup was going to meet us uh, and pulled into the bank parking lot. My friend went into the bank lobby to use the ATM to pull some money, to pull some money out, uh, and got back into his truck. The sun was basically up at this point, and some people were out and about. Elated, <laughs> we were about to go to school. I probably still and probably still rather drunk. My friend gives a bit of a boohoo type yell and proceeds to do a burnout in the parking lot, <laughs> where with his fairly. Uh, new to uh, in, uh, in a lot uh, with his fairly new to him truck. Unfortunately, the mid burnout was a imme- uh, uh, immediately. Fortunately, mid burnout, he immediately crashed into the into the dumpster of the nearby restaurant and crumples the front end of his truck. The damage was mostly cosmetic, I think, but it was not a good look and probably attracted some unwanted attention. The decision was made to quickly hightail out of there. He pulls out of the parking lot. We begin to drive down drive down the road. Unbelievably, within thirty to sixty seconds of pulling out of the parking lot, a wayward seagull decides to fly directly into the front of the fucking truck. All uh, uh, all I had time to do was look in the side mirror uh, as it burst uh, as a burst of feathers erupted out from behind the truck. To this day, this is the one and only time I've ever been in a vehicle that has hit a bird. And somehow it, happens. it happened within minutes of the incident in the parking lot. Uh, uh, undeterred, we proceeded to meet our hookup and made our way back to where we, we came from. In the end, the mission was a success, minus the thousands of dollars of damage caused by the truck Uh, and, of course, the poor Seagull. Miraculously, throughout this, no police got involved. Perhaps not surprisingly, my friend's truck later got repossessed due to his ongoing reluctance to make payments on the vehicle. I imagine they were happy, they they weren't happy with the state of it when they got it back. Stay strong, dopey nation, and toodles for for, for Chris. Thank you. Uh, A, from Canada.
0: So that's a Canadian Coke and uh, alcohol story with the casualty of a bird. Um, What's the most dangerous situation you think you were ever in with drugs?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I used to drink a lot and and do a lot of Oxycontin. And I just think that inherently is very, very dangerous. Um, I think I, I passed out into a swimming pool once.
0: Swimming in the pool.
1: Yeah, totally passed out in the pool and had to get like pulled out.
0: Who pulled you out?
1: the girl whose house it was. Yeah. She I was at some house party and my MO was immediate. Anytime, anytime going to any kid's house, uh, for a party, I would beeline it to the parents' bathroom and open the medicine cabinet. And, um, yeah, I, I, I grabbed some like ambient and Xanax and whatever out of the bathroom cabinet and just ate it. And I was like screwing around down by the pool. And I think I just kind of thought it'd be nice to lay in the pool. And I, like, laid in the pool and kind of fell
0: asleep. I'm sure that's killed lots of people. I'm sure it has to have yeah. killed lots of people. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's a classic Canadian uh, dopey email, by the way. <laughs> okay. and,
1: you know, we, I was just too bad there wasn't any uh, French fries and gravy and some, uh, you know, maple syrup chugging.
0: I wonder if his name is actually A, or it's supposed to be like, I'm from Canada, A, kind of thing.
1: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe both.
0: I don't know. I don't know. All right, you want to play a little game before you go? Sure. A little this or that, or have I have I worn you down too too past the point of of, of getting anything done? We've gone we've gone very far, Jack, uh-huh. and I appreciate you being game. We'll try we a, we'll try a game and then I will let you go. Okay. Let me okay. see if I can find the screen. Okay, we're gonna play this or that, and you choose which you prefer. Okay. The X Files okay. or Stranger Things? X Files. Robert Trujillo or Jason Newstead?
1: Robert Trujillo.
0: The Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot? Bigfoot. Your British passport versus the US
2: passport.
1: <sighs> Tough one. Um I don't know. Um. Probably my US passport.
0: Okay. There's a question there. I'm going to let it go. Um, Sly Stone or Curtis Mayfield?
1: Uh, Curtis Mayfield.
0: Uh, One day at a time or let go and let God?
1: One day at a time.
0: John Lennon or David Bowie? Uh, David Bowie. Restless leg syndrome or irritable bowel syndrome?
1: Uh, Restless leg syndrome.
0: Candy flipping or shooting goofballs? What's that? Which one? Shooting goofballs?
1: No, wait, wait candy flipping or shooting goof? I don't know what those are. Wow. This Can- drug town?
0: Yes, candy flipping is uh, LSD and ecstasy, I believe. And goofballs are injecting heroin and meth. Oh, oh, man. Oh, uh, man. And you're going to uh, choose neither. Neither. <laughs> neither. Uh. All right. And, uh, okay, fame or fortune? Uh
1: fortune definitely i'd rather be i'd rather be rich and anonymous any day
0: (laughs) definitely and before we go how's the ms how are you doing with the multiple sclerosis oh i'm great yeah no i'm
1: good you look good I'm, i'm totally fine thank you
0: you are a pleasure thank you for spending so much time with us
1: no worries thanks dave
0: and as we always say to end the show stay strong dopey nation and fucking toodles for chris
3: What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm gonna do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjo. thing's hard to keep in tune. hear this makes it through the uh big inbox emails feel free to play a clip on the show if you want if not i know it kind of sucks all right uh really appreciate it thanks y'all